Connor, in thinking about what we're going to discuss today, I want to ask you, what has the time been that you really were like, I don't know if it's too dramatic, but fearful for your life? Like you thought, this is going to end horribly for me. Sure. So I would like to pretend that it happens every week that I'm like such an adventurer that like it, I'm just constantly finding myself in situations like this, but that's not the case. So let me cast you back, Jason. At this point, almost 10, 11, 12 years, uh, I would probably been about 13, 14 years old. My parents had gone out of town to visit my brother who had just gone to college. And so the only people who were home were my older brother who was around, other older brother who was around 21, and my little sister who was maybe about 10 years old. And so we live uh, out in out in Jinx. It was a little less developed at that time. And I had a basketball game out in some podunk, like, 30, 40 minutes north of, uh, or south of Tulsa. I don't, I don't even know where it is anymore. And so my brother and my sister, we go to this game. I'm sure we win because I rode the bench. So I was pretty good. So if I rode the bench, you knew we were really good. And so it's late at night. Uh, this is really before like GPS is like really taken off as like, this is how we get everywhere. And we're out in the middle of nowhere. My brother is driving us and he turns off the highway uh, down this road to like through this forested area. And we have no service. We're not sure what's going on. Like our parents aren't going to be in town for another two to three days. So nobody is waiting for us to get home. Nobody is waiting to get a call from us. And we're driving down this like lane and we pull up and I, and I promise you this, like you can call my brother or my sister that this happened. We pull up and like we come through this clearing and on the left side of us, there's this like river Creek area. And there's this sort of like Gothic, castle almost um i'm not not even joking with like like there's like a gate and there's this gate that's that's blocking this like house castle sort of thing and there's gargoyles on the on the gates of the castle and there are like crazy expensive sports cars uh in in like you can see like beyond the gate and the road ends like right as we see this and there's fog like you know going all like across the road and it says road ends turn back now uh sign on it and my brother we're driving this probably like 1992 pontiac whatever and i mean we like we just started flipping out. We start like it legit felt like we were like transported to like an alternate reality. And we got back to the house and like, I, I think we like my brother just sped the opposite direction. Um, but it, it was really one of those moments of like, we've seen so many bad horror movies and this is certainly the beginning of a bad horror movie. Nobody knows where we are and nobody's going to come looking for at least two to three days. So that that's, that's a kind of funny story that I have. Wow. That is, that's good. Um, yeah, for me, um, it, it's a very different dynamic, but so I've been in the army for about three days. I've been in basic training about three days, and uh, and the sergeant rushes onto stage, uh, interrupts what we're doing, and says, "We have declared the United States has declared war on Panama, and we are going in mass." And and he was dead serious, and and. Um, he said uh, they are going to fast track all of basic training. They were going to train us for four more days. And we, because of our role, I was a Cav Scout, we were going to be the, one of the first ones to hit the beach. And and we were going in, and he thinks we can do it. But because of the nature of how few days we'd been there, the President of the United States was giving us an opt-out option. 
And so in order to take advantage of that opt-out option, you had to get up from your seat, head to the back of this hall. There's 200 men in this hall. Uh, go to the back of this hall. You'd go out a door. You'd sign the papers. You'd grab your stuff. You'd get on a bus, and you'd be out of the Army. And keep in mind, I was terrified to be in the Army. And so I was a thousand times more terrified that I would be dead because I had this running view of myself and still do. Like, for example, if we were to go paintball today, I would know you would be victorious and I would end up with welts all over my body. That, that's just a common thought because no matter how much I try, I would be the guy that died. But you want to go paintball later? Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, I finally found someone, <laughs> my perfect partner. Anyway. And so when they said, get up, I mean, he was like, you got to do it right now. And he was shouting and there were a bunch of people yelling. And so, I mean, the room became ha over halfway deserted Wow. and I am looking around. And so my level of fear is escalating, but I could not let go because I was like, I'm here for the college money. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyways, so then after that played out for, it seemed like a decade, but it was probably, you know, 45 solid seconds. They brought all those guys back up that left and put them on the stage. Now, I think they were shocked that so many were there because it's hard to shame, you know, 60% of your group. Yeah. Uh, and so it died on arrival in terms of their trick. But their whole point was, you got to make a decision. You're going to meet a foxhole with this guy. Mm. And it took me a few days to realize we weren't going to war with Panama. <laughs> like, we did have a Panama skirmish during the time. But you got to keep in mind, we were totally cut off from all information. Gotcha. When the wall, when the when the Berlin Wall fell, we didn't know it till two days later. That's crazy. Because <laughs> so. I think that would be my, I mean, obviously, like, I wouldn't be on my phone in that situation. But that would be my first thing. Like, that... I feel like we would have heard something. Like, I feel like there would have been some, I don't know. Right. So no, exactly. I, I like that. I like and they that. were having a deal with a guy named Noriego. But see, I was in the army, so I don't know what happened at all, you know? So anyway. Just point, fire, and miss. That's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> well, mine was point, and I can't believe I've already shot. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. Today, we're kind of finishing up part two of some of the work that we've been doing in John chapter 12. And so, yeah, if you want to turn there with us or just listen to my dulcet tones, I, I nice. know that don't get too focused because they can hypnotize you. And if you're driving, that's not super good. So John chapter 12, verses 27 through 32, and this is Jesus speaking. Now, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others had said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out and I... And I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. So, Jason, what amazes you about this passage? Especially in context of Jesus having this earlier conversation that we talked about last week, about everybody, you know, you have to die to yourself to live. It, it occurs to me that Andrew and Philip and all the other apostles and everybody there, but specifically them, they are still at this point putting this Jesus thing together. N not just Jesus as the man in front of them, but this idea of him being the Messiah and what that means. And it amazes me, uh, pr probably in, in, in 
layered ways, but this idea of him, he's the seed. It just amazes me that he's the seed. Now, the, the reason why I think it's funny I'm coming to this is I'm so used to this. Well, of course, Jesus is a seed that's fallen on the ground, that he'll die, and then everybody will live. But they didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And this is such an amazing message that Jesus is saying, that seed I was just talking to you about, I'm the seed. Now, it's not that we're not the seed and not that the principle doesn't exist, but he's the seed of all seed. And especially if you attach it back to Genesis 3, and if you know much about Genesis 3, Genesis 3 is the fall of man. And when God is cursing the serpent, he said, this woman's seed, singular, not her offspring in general, but there is a seed that will crush your head. And Jesus is saying there, you know, this seed I was talking about, I'm the one that's going to die. I'm the one that's going to, so he's fulfilling these thousand years of prophecy, bam, in this instant. And I guess what equally amazes me is, and nobody gets it. Yeah. Like they're like, they're, they're interested in this loud sound. There's no sense they made it out. Some think there's talking they heard, but there's no sense they heard the message. But, but it is this idea that they are amazed by the wrong things. I'm amazed that they're amazed by the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And then I ask myself, what is it I'm not amazed by right now? Yes. That God is like. Do you not? And I don't think he's petty, but he's like, "Hey, I want you to see this." And I'm like, "But look at the shiny." So, I'm like, I'm the raccoon in the story. I'm so like, the disciples <laughs> they took like a basically took a three year course on you know how to be a Jesus person, and three years in, like it's a, a full basically graduate program, and they're still not getting it. And and I wonder, like you know what what you said there kind of sparked this in my brain. Like are like you said, are there things? Where like, oh, I've I've got this part down. I've taken this class. I I know I know the whole process. And God's like, yeah, but you're you're missing you're missing the fuller picture. Like you're missing like the overarching uh, overarching theme of it all. I wonder if you were walking like, let's say you know you were going to disciple somebody who was you know first coming like you had just kind of shown the initial interest in in, in faith in in Jesus, and you spent let's just say six months with them and like just trying to like hammer down the basics and they just were not getting it. Like they had grown up outside of church. They'd grown up outside of, you know, the normal influence of, of seekers that we usually find, but they just six months in, they just can't get it. They're not understanding it. Like you're saying things, you feel like you're being pretty direct and they're just misinterpreting. They're just almost, it looks like willfully like ignoring what you're going to say. How, how do you feel six months into that relationship with this so person? So frustrated. Even, even you talking, I'm like, just come to the point where they understand in your story. Like, I don't even want to wait in your story for them to come to understand. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I wonder, we talk about this all the time, about the things that we continue to discover, you know, in Scripture and the things that keep being unveiled to us, even if we've read a passage, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. I, I do wonder if there's a, if there's a through line here of, like, I believe the whole Bible is a story that is leading to Jesus through Jesus and, and for Jesus. And there are certain parts, like I know, like I have my f- Bible open on my, on my phone right now, but I know there are parts that are like just stacked throughout here. It's certain things that are going to blow my mind and change the way I view everything that if I live for long enough, I know that I'm going to experience those things. And, and I wonder we, I, I think uh, this is where I think you were kind of going is I have this judgment for the disciples of like, just dig a little deeper, just like, dig a little deeper. And I wonder if they would say the same thing. Like you have all these gospels, you have the whole old Testament, like you have it at your fingertips and like, you know, like I, I know that there are depths to plumb and I don't know. It's all part of the journey, but I, I don't know. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. And yeah, you're right. It does come with judgment. There's when I say I'm amazed, there's a little bit of mocking, yeah. you know, in my in my perspective because they are not getting it. They're still working on. And and I keep going back to um, Andrew and Philip. Are they still like saying, "Hey, we're trying to get the Greeks to Jesus"? Is that we don't we don't know because it kind of just disappears into yeah. the you know netherworld here. But it's and if netherworld has some negative meaning, I don't mean that. But it, but it's just the idea that <laughs> that we're we are. It's just this weird situation that multiple things are happening, and and the takeaway is the most amazing thing, really, even over the voice from from the sky, is this dynamic of Jesus just specifically is predicting, I will die by being lifted up. And I think culturally they would have even, well, how does a person die and lift it up? Yeah, that's a good well, thought. Well, that, that's crucifixion, you know. Yeah, and or so, that's, at the, that's at the very end of, of, of the age. Right. So what what you just said there sparked another thing in my, in my mind. Um, Jesus, so this, this voice thunders from the heavens, and all these people look around and hear it, and they, there's still this picture of them not fully understanding what's going on and Jesus says that this this is for you I'm this is not for me this is completely for your benefit and I think how often do you or or me or, or you listener do something for somebody that you love and Jesus loves these people and they don't recognize they don't recognize it and how upset does that make you feel like for me I know I, I am no more petty than when I choose to come home and serve my wife by like doing all the dishes. And if she doesn't notice it, it's like that, that spark of goodness that I had that I was doing this all for her is revealed to be false that it wasn't, it wasn't all for her. But I I think this is so incredible of Jesus that he is not, um, that he's doing all this for them and they're still not getting it. And like, I feel like I have never gone to the, to the extent that Jesus has gone to like, you know, or they will go to on the cross. But like, I certainly have never done anything as incredible as like give a sign like Jesus gives here. Mm. Uh, and I think, man, that, 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 that helps me frame, um, when I'm trying to serve, when I'm trying to lay my life down for people, there's so much often this, this moment of clarification of when it's not, appreciated or it's not seen as useful that it's revealed to me that it's actually not my life giving my life for them it's almost a sometimes a performance by me and so that's very convicting that is and I feel that I feel that in, in the same way in marriage another way I feel it is when I'm working towards something in my leadership with the church I get to be a part of and other people don't see it and I'm like, I, I get you don't see it, but can you stay with it? And like, now we're leaving because we don't see it, mm-hmm. or they're afraid of something. That I'm saying, I don't. I think that's coming from your fear, but that's not. That's not where this leads. And like, now we're out, mm-hmm. and it just, man, it breaks my heart. But it also, I I experience a lot of anger over it because I feel betrayed. Yeah. I'm like, didn't you trust me? Didn't you trust that I was I was? T-? And it's not that I'm foolproof, but I'm like. I had a vision for this and this is going somewhere and I know it made you feel uncomfortable at first, but can you keep walking through? And then I turn around and meet a God and God's like, didn't you trust me? And yeah. I'm like, don't, <laughs> of course I'm not trusting you. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Um, I've got a lot to learn here yeah. in, 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 in closing I know, that gap, I guess. I know that feeling you're, you're talking about and it's, it's particularly convicting, right? Cause like people have a, I mean, and we all, we all distrust God at times and we talked a lot, a lot about that before, but we have like, like, I love you, Jason. You're one of my favorite people in the world. But like, I have a lot, I can find a lot of reasons to distrust you on something. I have a lot of, I can find a lot of reasons to, to not trust you in something. Right. And I have, you know, 
I, I necessarily can't find those with Jesus. Like I, those don't exist. And so, man, I think it gives me, you know, if you distrust me in something and like, I think it, it can help me give more grace in that situation. Cause I'm like, well, if I struggle with trusting Jesus, why wouldn't Jason struggle with trusting me? Mm. Like, and I'm not saying that that lets us off the hook of right. not trusting and, and, and putting ourselves um, in the hands of other believers and, and giving ourselves up. But I, I think it, it can help put a better perspective on it. That perspective shift is so important and it can be applied so many ways, but speci- specifically to this, I, I will have so much judgment about somebody. Why don't you trust God? Why don't you trust me in this? Which is the point you're making. And then I turn around and be like, but I don't even trust God. Like that, that should build in compassion mm. and mercy. Yeah. And I think it does a little, little by little as God takes more of my, me over as I let him. But, but it is that part that, that is very convicting. So, so for you, when you look at this, what amazes you? That's good. I thought I was going to have to redirect, but you, you, you were already on top of it. I'm redirecting the heck out of this thing. So what amazes me about this, about this passage is Jesus in the, in verse 27, um, he's just been talking about how he's going to have to be, he's going to have to give up his life for this goal, for this movement, for what he is after. And he's doing it for his followers, for the people he loves. And in 27, there's this lament almost that Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Now, I don't know about you, and, and we can talk about some of the times, some of the things that Jesus says on the cross or in Gethsemane. I think it is so incredible that we have a God that doesn't portray what he does as just no big deal. Yeah, mm. give, give your life up. It's, it's not, it's nothing. I mean, I, I think I've been, I think I've been sold this bill of goods at times of like, yeah, just just give everything up for Jesus and, and follow him. And it, it is what it is. There's, you know, like it's almost like the, the perspective that I think so many people have said of like, well, either you choose to follow Jesus or you choose to go to hell. And what I, what I think is so, is so moving for me about this passage about how Jesus processes his demise is that his processing of this gives me permission to not feel guilt over the struggle um, the fact that Jesus, it's not just this quick and easy. Yeah, this is just matter of fact. Yeah, of course I'm going to die. Of course I'm going to suffer. It is what it is. No, Jesus has to actually wrestle with it and he actually doesn't want to do it. And I, I think, you know, it's so basic, but it, it's so important, um, that when we talk about ourselves or we talk about leading other people to Jesus and like, yeah, does, does Jesus offer life and a joy and abundance and like ultimate fulfillment? Like, of course he does. Of course there's amazing things that come alongside Jesus, but it's not actively, it's not easy to make those decisions in the moment. Um, and I think that I, like we talk about so much, it's, it's just a perspective change. It's just a, a flip in how you view things. But I, I think it's, I think it's so important because it, one, it gives our, us grace and it gives other people grace. And it also sets up people better to not fail, right? If we tell people that, hey, follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be good. He's this really great guy. And yeah, you might have to die to yourself, but it, it's really not that hard. But no, if we present a God that says die to yourself and you're not going to want to, it's going to be really hard to give up your life, but ultimately it's it's worth it in the end. That is such a that is a completely different message than I feel like a lot of people are receiving. That is that is really good. And I, I think really tapping into why is it that we give up on Jesus? And I think it's often not because 
we stop believing he is the son of God or we stop believing that God is the God of all creation and he's all loving and all knowing and all powerful. I think it's because we convince ourselves that we're just not cut out for it. And I think it has something to do. I I think a contributing factor is the very message you're saying is that you look out and you're like, whoever your spiritual giant is in your life, whoever is the person that is your mentor, your most influential person, there's a temptation attached there, unless they are vulnerable with you, to think it just comes easy for them. Mm-hmm. Which means, if if you're a spiritual person, truly, then it'll come easy for you. Yeah. But then, if it doesn't come easy for you, then you have some other calculating to do. Well, and and that, I think that's where we give up. Yeah. And I think that, you know, going back to the very beginning of the podcast, the reason I, I talked about my my doubt and my struggle and belief at times is because for so long I felt alone in that battle. And and I think since then, we, we've heard so many people like, you know, to you, Jason, or to me and Hannah, just reach out and talk about how, how um, big it was for them to hear somebody who, you know, was in the, in the, you know, professional ministry role professional jesus person role to be able to to be able to be open and saying that i think the key and and what what you're saying is so powerful is that recognize and this goes back to our first podcast i think or maybe our second podcast it's our second podcast we're talking about john the baptist we have to keep reminding ourselves that these heroes of faith struggled with their faith struggled with their relationship with god every day mm-hmm. every day I, Jason Thornton, a minister, uh, struggle with my faith every day. What does that mean? It doesn't mean I have to, I don't even believe in God today at all. Mm -hmm. It means, to me at least, it means here's how I think God would work, it's not working, or here's how I think I should be working and I'm not working. Yeah. And so, and so it just puts me into this tension. It's not even so much a struggle with God as struggling with these attacks of the devil, you know? And that's where where I feel this resonates with me at least is this idea that that you're talking about is Jesus is troubled by this and I am troubled by the dynamics I'm dealing with stuff I create stuff I see stuff I stuff I inherit from others you know that that I also experience this inner turmoil which it the the whole point the bottom line is it is not easy to walk with Christ. Yeah. And that's the impression we're pushing back against is this impression that well if you really love Jesus this comes easy. That's the same thing as if you really love this person you're about to marry, you'll have a fairy tale marriage. Yeah. And that is the number one predictor of you getting a divorce is thinking you'll just marry this person and it will flow smooth. No relationship works like that including your relationship with God. It's the idea that struggle is some sort of taint right that when we struggle with something it it infects whatever we're whatever we're working with and i think the message that we see throughout the bible with all the various people including jesus himself is that god is found in the struggle and that it's something that he's baked into the cake Mm -hmm. like he he has purposely made it this way and we can talk about why or why would he do it or you know why wow it's so amazing but i think so much of the time we view this and maybe it has something to do with the purity culture that like if we have anything inside of us um, that isn't remotely what we think it should be, then it, it necessarily is sinful. But listen, if Jesus was sinless, which we believe that he was sinless, Jesus struggled and had inner tor- turmoil about this. So does that so that that necessarily means that having inner tor- turmoil, but ultimately choosing God, ultimately choosing to give yourself up and sacrifice 
that, that that's about as holy as it can be. And man, I just, I, I think that that's so, that's so big because I think for a lot of people, they receive the message that to struggle to have what they would see as the taint of struggle is sin in of itself. And if you can't fix that sin, then you can't even begin to do anything else. That's, oh man, I could go all day only respecting our and all of our time, would I not? But but we need to just hold this out in front of us. What do we do with our guilt? And what do we do with habitual sin? And what do we do with these things? Because those answers are in Scripture, but they have largely not been processed in public in, in our churches and our preaching. And part of it is simply because it just becomes too messy too fast. Yeah. And most church structures want it to be clean. Want it to be, we tell you the truth, you agree to do it, and never tell us otherwise. And, that, and that's why people get the idea that the lack of cleanliness is is wrong and sinful. And so when people go to church and they never hear it processed, never hear it talked about, never hear it preached on, then for them it just becomes this, oh, well, if it's not being addressed in church, then there must be something inherently wrong, not with the sin. I mean, yes, something wrong with the, hab- the habitual sin, but there's something wrong with the struggle. There's something wrong that this would even be an issue in my mind. This would even be a struggle in my mind. Yeah. I, right. I, I and that. and that's the distinction you're drawing. And I think this is really important to just reinforce. Sin is a problem. Sin mm-hmm. kills us. Sin drags us away from God. Sin is an invitation not to trust God with some aspect of your life. We're not talking about sin or trying to minimize sin. What we're saying is struggling with it. Mm-hmm. has been has been tainted so much that's the taint you're speaking of yeah. and I just want to make sure this is clear and Jesus is struggling here and not sinning and that's mm-hmm. important so your struggle may not be sin and so that's this we're not specifically digging into all the sure. figuring out how to I don't know diagnose that but I do think it's important that we point that out what we're talking about so for you with that see because now that we're reflecting on what amazes us I'm like all those things perplex me too. Yeah, like no, for sure. But but if we're trying to hone in on one thing that perplexes you, what it, what is one thing about this that perplexes you? Sure. So in in, in thirty two, uh, when Jesus is talking about the, the judgment of the world and how the prince of the world will be driven out, he says, um, "And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself." Um, man, that that leads to a lot of a lot of questions. Um, anybody that acts, and I think we we've we've done. Jason, I've talked about this a lot. Anybody who acts like the afterlife or who's saved, who isn't, who gets into the party, who doesn't get into the party, anybody who acts like it's like really cut and dry and super easy to address, I, I just, I, I think, I think that's foolish. I, I think there are people that I know who are like firmly on the side of, um, there are very few people, like there are, you know, a minuscule, like only the people in my church get in, get into heaven sort of, sort of people, um, I've heard them talk about this passage and be like, well, we really don't 100% know what Jesus means by the word all here. Um, and, and, and so I think the perplexing thing for me is this continual ambiguity um, in, in this topic. And I, maybe I'm not framing in the right way. Maybe I'm not processing in the right way. But this is just this continual perplexing thing for me. Um, because honestly, I would love I would love to just take this this only this like this passage and that would just be my whole um my whole theological like this would be the only thing I'd build my theological mm-hmm. um afterlife judgment on and just be like okay everybody all people not just all disciples or all you know believers but every I would love to build what I believe just off of this only verse here 
Um, but then there's just so much other stuff to take in. Yeah. So, okay. So that, so what I'm hearing you say is you're saying, how does Jesus say all? And then humanity says, yeah, all of the people I think, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and that's the perplexing dynamic is how has humanity read this and, and missed it? Mm -hmm. You know, well, well, not people of this color. We're not people of this, you know, strata, not people of this caste, you know, this level or whatever, you know, and I, and I think this is the challenge. And of course I flip it around on me and I'm saying, who am I counting out? In my life, you know what I mean. Who is it? Maybe, and, and a lot of times we go to, well, what's your blind spot? And that's fair, you know. I've, I've, I, I've had, I could tell you my blind spots with people groups in general, you know. Um, but I even think about who are the people in my life that I'm like, this person just will never grow, mm-hmm. you know. That I'm like, wait a minute. So, so here's the part that I'm going to build on that that perplexes me with everybody coming. That when Jesus raised up, he's coming. Now, he's talking specifically, and I'm open to correction here. He's saying, look, um, judgment now is the time, and I'm going to be lifted up and draw him into me. So you're thinking Jesus is on a cross, and then all people come to him forever and ever. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then I've heard this text used as, so if we lift Jesus up, then we will draw people to Think about it as a church or a group of believers. If we lift Jesus up and keep lifting Jesus up, we will draw all people to us. Hmm. So, so man, lots of things spin out of this for me. But one of them is, what if I'm doing my best to lift Jesus up and no one is coming? And I think it's a it's it's one of those things that you step back and you're like, okay, God, help me with this. Help me think through this. On one hand, it could be that I think I'm lifting Jesus up, but I'm really lifting me up. Or I'm really lifting my favorite doctrine up, or I'm really lifting my interpretation up, you know? Um, and there is a big difference between my interpretation and lifting Jesus up. The other thing, though, is that's interesting, and if you make this know, what, what God's saying here is over the complete span of time people are coming to him, you you lifting him up doesn't guarantee that all people will come to you. And the reason I say this is, I always think Peter and Paul, and we talked about, we studied Acts pretty in depth together, you know, a few years ago, and, and this kept coming up is, I just always wonder if Paul, when he goes and preaches for the first, second, 15th time, if he's not saying, where's my Pentecost? Peter and the other apostles raised Jesus up and 3,000 people came yeah. to be baptized, not just 3,000 people came, but 3,000 people were baptized. I raised Jesus up and I get stoned. I raised Jesus up. Mm-hmm. And people are like, eh, we don't care. I raise people, Jesus up, people are like, why don't you come back next week and talk to us? You know, I get a handful of people in all these cities and, and I think it's important. I don't know what, what, what is, what is the application of this in my life? Sure. It is the perplexing dynamic. Like I'm not quite sure how to apply this well. This kind of gets back to part of the earlier conversation we had about, um, about giant people we perceive as giants in the faith. It kind of, it kind of, that's where you're kind of going. Kind of draws, draws me to. I feel like sometimes, as Jesus people, we have this sense, like we know, okay, God has set out my work for me, right? God has, God has made a path for me, and He has plans for me, uh, and He has, He has a plan for me and work for me to do here. And even though we, we know theologically, biblically, that those things are even. So if I'm following my plan. If I'm living out the calling that God has on my life and you're living out the calling on 
you know God has in your life, then man, we're 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 built we're drawing all people to him. We're building the kingdom. We're participating in an equal fashion. Um I, I feel like the struggle we talk about here is when the outward results don't match what we think they should be on the inside. So that when we're both living out the calling uh, that God has placed in our life and you're leading a church of 3000 people and I'm struggling to pay the bills with 50 people, you know, in in my church. What I wonder is it an issue of is it an issue of what we perceive as success, right? And so what do we do we naturally have this idea that of course I'm going to be Peter at Pentecost. Of course, like if God has a plan for me and if God is going to draw all people to him, well, of course I'm going to play, you know, the part where that I get the high numbers or I get the, you know, whatever. Or I wonder, I, we, you see, I love what you said about Paul and it's something that I've, I've processed a lot. I wonder if there would have been a moment for Paul, but like if you could trade the ministry results that you've had with Peter, would you do it? And I wonder if in Paul's heart, heart of hearts, he would like seeing Pentecost and seeing the fruit of it and seeing all, all of that happen. If in a, in, in a vulnerable moment, if you'd be like, yeah, I, I would, I would really wish I could, I could see some of that. And what I love about that example, and we can't know for sure. And this is just kind of us working through some things, but then you, you fast forward 2000 years later and the role that Paul plays in, in drawing men to Jesus. Um, and it's incredible. I mean, it far outreaches just the few thousand people that Peter and Peter initially, you know, um, interacts with or baptizes at Pentecost. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, what you said is really interesting to me. I, um, I was in a training program, lots of good, lots of good in this training program. Periodically they'd bring in missionaries and this is just an example of the, of the messaging unintentional or otherwise. And I've got a worse, more grotesque example, but I'm going to stay with this one. I want to hold that in my back pocket unless you ask me a question about that in the future. Or in case you did, well, so it's a grotesque thing a missionary so, said did or yeah, uh, trained oh, this oh this preacher anyway that, I'll save it I'll save okay. it build our tension for the future anyway because uh, that's something you're looking for is more tension we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get a t-shirts printed out that say A and P uh, grotesque missionary question mark yes, you know some I don't know I like I like where this goes anyway so the first missionary there's missionaries like four days in a row. The first missionary was from Northeast United States. And he said, man, if you're not Northeast United States, are you really doing anything? Do you really love this country? Do you really love this world? Do you really love the lost? Next day, a guy comes in from Brazil and same message. In Brazil, the people in Brazil are really responding. Do you really love people? Next day, China. Do you really? And I was working with students that were hearing this, young college-age students that were hearing this. And I remember when they came when they came down on the first day, they were there were several like, why are we even here? Why are we not in the northeast United States? We ought to be up in Connecticut or wherever, you know. And uh the next day it's like, oh man, no, we need to be in Brazil. Well then but by by day three, they're completely disenchanted. Because mm-hmm. if they were such stupid imbeciles that they had just gone off to northeast United States, they would have really missed God's calling to go down to Brazil, but then they would have been in Brazil and been such completely incompetent followers of Christ because they should have been in China. And this was not intentional to the missionaries' messaging. But I think this is the message you can get from church, especially when you bring in somebody that's been, quote, successful, is that if you are raising, you're going to your job and you're working as hard as you can, not, not just to be good at your job, 
but to show Christ in interactions. And you periodically reach out to to a coworker, and you're loving them, and, and you're known as somebody that loves them around the office, but no one will come to church with you. And, and that one time you said, hey, does anybody want to study the Bible? It was met with ridicule. And and you're you're doing your best to raise your family, but man, it feels like your your kids, you don't even know if they really love God. You know, it's it's a wrestle to get them to church. And then you hear these messages that says, Well, what you really need to do is be in, you know, China and mm-hmm. and you need to be in Brazil. And and it's not those the heart of those those men that were speaking is not bad. It, it's and their their desire was good. They're making appeal for people they loved. I I get that. But the takeaway is if you're not Peter at Pentecost, are you really even walking with Christ? Mm. And you hear that message more than more than a few times, and you may still go to church because you believe you need to, and you're still trying your best to believe in God, but you're not you're gonna stop actively believing that God's using you if yeah. the standard is you must be impacting as many people as I am. Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to use you for an example. I think it could be very easy. You have um, a ministry where you uh, you work with, um, at a middle school in an underprivileged area. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, and you work with these young men and you are this healthy male presence, healthy, godly male presence in their life. And if you know anything about the statistics um, of how beneficial health, not even godly, but healthy male presences are in young men's life. I, I think you could easily say you are literally changing the course of lives, not just their lives, but their kids' lives and the relationship that's, that they're going to have. I think very easily when you get wrapped up into that work, you could say there's no there's no greater work in Tulsa. There's no greater work to be done here. And I, you know, I spent there's so I mean, even just in our little area, there's so much good. There's so many good things happening um, that are involved with churches and not involved with churches. I used to take um, my youth group down to uh, Nightlight. Um, which is an under the bridge ministry that ministers to homeless people, um, and they 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 are just constant warriors, constant just giving themselves over and over and over um, for 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 these people that that need their help. And I think it'd just be so easy to go, well, if you're not under the bridge, if you haven't dedicated every Thursday night, which is when they meet, every Thursday night of your of your week of your of your life, then what is it about? Like, what what are you even doing? And I, and I think sometimes we use this as an excuse to, to, to not do anything, to not engage, to not give back. But I, I think the, the issue becomes is when we are really passionate about, you know, working with with males who need healthy health, young males who need healthy um, manly presences in their life or working with people who are homeless or working with widows or orphans or working with whoever, whoever you're working with, whatever you're passionate about the struggle is always going to naturally be that that is going to become your religion. That's going to become the God that you hold up, that you worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's so easy to look at other people's success, right? When I look at other people's passions for these things and go, oh man, that that's that's the essence, right? That's what I'm chasing. I'm chasing that um, fulfillment, that joy, whatever it is I see them getting out of it. Um, and, and I think the thing that we have to keep reminding ourselves both for our, our judgment towards ourselves and a judgment towards other people that we maybe perceive as not doing the things that we think they should be doing or participating in the way they should be participating is that the manifestations of the passions that I have for Jesus aren't Jesus. That That is so well said. And, and part of the strain in trying to verbalize all this 
is it's so tightly woven together. Uh, you know, in my life, I have been told if you are not working on legislation against same-sex marriage, you don't love Jesus. If you do not have foster children, you're, you're, you don't love Jesus. If you are not uh, going to abortion clinics and stopping women from getting abor- abortions, you don't love Jesus. If you don't worship in the way that we're telling you to, you don't love Jesus. And and it's it's just one of these dynamics. And then I flip it around where I'm the person. What are my choice things? Well, if you don't join me at this middle school, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't come to my church, if you don't believe this particular way I'm saying things, and and this is how the devil works us. He either gets us, he he wants us either to feel like we're on the outside looking in, I wish I was more like that, or we're on the inside looking out. Mm. I wish they were better, you know? Yeah. And, or look how good I am. And we have to realize he does this in every area of our life, including our passions for Jesus. He wants to take everything we've got that's good and just make it pseudo, make it something a little bit different than worshiping God with, no matter how good, how many people love their family so much and they've completely blocked Christians and they've completely blocked God out of their families, Mm. you know, and that becomes their idol. And I think the this is the nature of the spiritual battle we're a part of. So back to Jesus in this context, it's fascinating then to jump back to this and and see him troubled with this place that God's put him in, and he put himself in as this seed that's going to die, and then simultaneously trying to encourage these people. It, it is a funny thing, and man, we could do another 30 minutes on why have a voice for them? This yeah. voice wasn't for me. Like, you asked for something. God does something. He says, not for me. And I'm like, what? It's not for you. And then it seems like they're not understanding it, or at least they're not making the connection. It's from God. This whole thing. So we, so in the middle of he is so passionate about dying for himself, God provides this thing, and then he says, this was for you. They don't get his passion. And then we know for a fact, and we can dig deeper into this, into this text if we were to go further, Jesus, like you said earlier, he loves these people. He's not mad at them. He's able to be troubled, and it drives him to passion, and the people don't get his passion, and he still loves them. And that's yeah. the picture for me is like, okay, so okay. You said something there that really sparked something in my mind. I have such a drive to be understood and understood completely. Uh, it's so important to me that I am understood that uh, people know where I'm coming from, that I love to be understood and to be seen for who I am and for who God has made me. I think that's good and I think it's important. And yet for Jesus, Jesus is not seen for who he is. He's not understood. And he's he's the thing that I constantly rage against in my heart and in my soul, Jesus is experiencing so fully here. And that 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 is that's that's amazing to me and it's perplexing to me. So in considering all this, here is here is what really strikes me. In 27, I can so relate to this. My soul is troubled. I can so relate to that. I can so relate to saying, Father, I'm considering asking you to help me avoid what it is you want me to do. <laughs> I can certainly relate yeah. to that. Uh, you know, should I, Am I saying save me from this? I'm like, yeah, I thought about that. I don't mm-hmm. want to do this. I don't want to... I don't want to have to do this work or or experience this conflict or whatever it is. And then I can even imagine the conclusion of, no, it was for this very reason. No, this is why I'm here. I'm here to do this hard work. I've been in lots of situations where I was called into something. I didn't want to do it. 
And but I felt like God wanted me there, and I was troubled by it, and I was like, okay, God. And and then I'm like, no, this one I'm supposed to do. But this next sentence where he says, "Father, glorify your name." It's interesting because I go the other direction. I go to Father, make sure my work isn't in vain. Mm-hmm. And he says, Father, glorify your name. And what's fascinating is God says, it, it, he said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The people don't get it. And and Jesus is left with, hey, this is for you, not for me. Yeah. And But my job is still going to be, I'm going to go die and um, and it will bring life to everybody. Yeah. And he accomplished it. He, they, no matter what they thought, thunder or an angel, and then Jesus put a mark on it. That was God. That was for you from God. Um, it accomplished it. But as a his on his personal level, just like we would both relate to, he wanted to be understood, but he gave it up for a greater good. And and this is important. God never asked you to give up sin for the sake of looking good or for the sake of having a cleaner life. He asked you to give up sin to bring glory to Him. And so, even if you're like, but I've only given up one fifteenth of my sin, great. That brings glory to God, you know. Yeah. And and that's the thing that I think really, I I want to keep growing in is this idea. Okay, I did the best I could. I thought it went well. I thought it failed. Whatever. God, let your name be glorified. Thank you for listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at amazedandperplexed@gmail.com. You can. Uh, f- you can fill out a contact form at amazedandperplexed.com. You could reach out via Facebook message. You could shout out shout at us on the street. You can call Jason at 2 a.m. in the morning. Yes. Uh, whatever you need, we are here. Grace, peace, and love.